0: Now in the low-lying Netherlands there is a programme called Room for the River which is helping shore up against flooding in a way that's a far cry from putting a mythical finger in the dike. Now giving a room, rather room to a river uh, to flood safely rather than hem it in with man-made engineering like stock banks has helped the Dutch mitigate against flooding since the early 2000s. Now this week Climate Change Minister James Shaw tasked a select committee with investigating how communities can adapt and relocate in the face of severe weather events. One option, according to my next guest, is to look to the Dutch to accommodate a river prone to flood and keep communities out of harm's way. Tom Kay is a freshwater advocate for Forest and Bird. He's touring the country and this week gave his 28th out of almost 40 making room for rivers presentations to communities and local government groups keen to hear how going with the flow can manage flood risk and preserve the river's ecosystems. And Tom joins me in the Wellington studio now. Welcome to the programme, Tom. Kia ora, thank you for having me. Great to have you. And now uh, you have just presented to Ashburton, which, of course, uh, we will know has had quite a few flooding issues. Tell us, a, t- Talk us through your presentation.
1: Yeah, we have just been down in Canterbury, actually, Christchurch, Ashburton, Timaru, and in front of the, the regional council down there. Um, really good turnouts, particularly in Ashburton. Obviously, as you say, they were hit pretty hard by flooding. Um Basically, we're, we're taking this conversation to communities to kind of explain to them what we've done to our rivers historically through time. We've, we've hemmed them in. We've taken space away from them, the space that they needed to function properly, to do things like recharge groundwater, um, but also to flood safely. And we're sort of trying to get that across to, to communities so that they... They can appreciate why this is happening. When, when places flood, they can see you know, where the river used to be and, and where it might go in the future and, and sort of understand why it is that they're spilling out into the places that we now live.
0: Okay, and your family were in Tarradale when the cyclone Gabriel hit. What, what happened there?
1: Yeah, so Tarradale is a suburb um, alongside the Tutakuri River in Hawke's Bay. And on that morning of the cyclone, the Tutakuri River basically rose up to one of the highest flows recorded. It um, took out the flow gauge, uh, 1,800 cumecs, Uh, So 1,800 tonnes of water was flowing down that river per second, and um, basically the river couldn't hold it anymore. It it overtopped the stock banks upstream in Puketapu and Dartmoor and flooded the valleys there, and then started to spill into the streets of Taradar, which, as you say, is where my family lives. And they were all evacuated, everyone in the suburbs nearby the river. Um, Thankfully they were okay, my family, but of course um, others weren't so lucky um, and yeah a lot of people heavily um, impacted by that the river basically just didn't have the space it needed to to hold that water um, and it spilled out everywhere
0: mm. a- and of course this is happening uh, throughout New-, New Zealand well and around the world but um, so and what are we doing we're, we're, what are we doing wrong? We are trying to control these rivers aren't we We're trying to um, build the stock banks which, ultimately they don't work do they
1: yeah so as our kind of call is often still in communities to um, you know to put the river back where it was you know and and that's just um, unfortunately it's not that easy and it's it's not even true the rivers um, rivers aren't fixed things they're, they're trying to move and adjust all the time to everything that's happening upstream all the sediment that's coming down the gravels where a young eroding country all the rainfall um, and they're just trying to adjust to that and to kind of think that we are controlling the river is, um, is a bit of a myth. Uh, we've historically, you, know, you only have to look back not very long through history and see every couple of decades there's usually a big flood um, in different towns and we kind of forget that those floods have happened. We, we say, ah, oh, you know, build the stock banks higher, put the, put the river back where it was and we do that and then we, then we get hit again and we usually get hard, uh, hit harder. So for instance, Taradale, they had just um, made their stock bank bigger, um, higher, stronger That, you know, arguably saved some of Taradale from um, the worst of the impacts, but that stock bank was still overtopped by the flood um, and when we have higher stop banks, those waters behind the stop bank are, are flowing faster, they're deeper because the stop bank is higher. So then when the water comes over that stop bank or, or bursts or cuts over it or bursts through it or anything like that, it comes out of that channel with huge amounts of energy. You know, it's, it's sort of physics 101. You, you pick up a ton of something and you lift it and it gains gravitational potential energy. So you pick up a ton of water or tens of tons or hundreds or thousands of tons in these cases, and then you drop it onto a floodplain and it just... Um, takes huge amounts of energy, and we we see that devastation across um, the floodplains of Hawke's Bay, for example. So,
0: yeah. So, so what it, what do you do in a situation like that? You because you can't keep on building the stock banks higher, can you?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what they realised in the Netherlands. Basically, you know, we talk about flood protection systems in terms of um, maybe a one in twenty year stock bank or a one in one hundred year stock bank. That idea of um, you know one percent chance every year say that the stock bank will be overtopped. Um, in the Netherlands, they're talking like one in a thousand years. So they realise we can't just keep building these walls higher and higher, and um, you know, there's there's just no no way that we can face the impact of that if those are ever overtopped. So they they came up with this um, well, you know, to come up with it, I don't know, but they're kind of credited with doing this on a big scale, making space in those channels, you know, moving the stock banks further away, moving people out of high risk floodplains. Um, and giving the river the space it actually needs to, to adjust and flood and, and things like that. They, there's some studies that were done afterwards that basically found if you could lower this, the level of a flood in a river by 50 centimetres, you could reduce the potential or the probability of failure of the stock banks by 10 times. So just that little bit of extra width to lower wow. those floodwaters means that the likelihood of them bursting is just so much lower. And then you save money in the long term, right? We spend so much money building stock banks higher, putting in rocks, we have to find those rocks, co- concrete, all sorts of things like that. Um, and then we pay the cost again when it's overtopped and we have all this damage to our communities. It's actually more cost effective and sustainable to, to kind of back off a bit and let the river kind of adjust itself and um, yeah, avoid throwing money at, at trying to control something that we can't really control.
0: However, that is problematic, isn't it? Because in so many places, you know, we have built right next to rivers. And uh, what are you proposing that that people, you know, move out? That that councils, you know, buy the land back?
1: Yeah, well, it, it will be a conversation like that in some places, and and it already is. You know, Cyclone Gabriel is um, is an example of that. But it's it's not something that we're saying has to happen overnight or straight away. And in a lot of places we have space alongside some of our rivers. Some of the, the land and the floodplains um, is, is council-owned land, for example. It's public land. Um, but yeah, other places we have hemmed in, and we're going to have to have some serious conversations about how maybe we do move away over time. Or at least if we're not moving away, we're not making the problem worse. We're not putting more people in behind those stop banks and things. Um, because stock banks have this, this. Um, it's a bit like when you build a road and more cars come. You know, you build stop banks, more people move in behind it. We've we, and behind those stock banks because we have this perception that they provide this level of protection that will just provide for every flood and that 's just totally untrue they 're only designed to um, you know protect us to a point and even then they can fail. Uh, so, so we have to kind of get away from that idea that these are these perfect things and we have to start looking at how we can um, get people out of harm's way, you know, reduce the risk. And so many other benefits with that as well. The health of the river, the health of our groundwater, the health of our communities, our resilience, you know, all the disruptions that we've faced from flooding, all that kind of starts to go away when we can give rivers a little bit more room.
0: And that is happening in some places. I think you've, there's a really good example in, what, in your presentation about Wellington and the heart Tell us what happened there.
1: Yeah, so Greater Wellington Regional Council, um, you know, heavily developed floodplain with Te Awakairangi, the Hutt River so Upper Hutt, Lower Hutt, Patoni, all in the floodplain really um, and the Hutt River's been squeezed through time it's been narrowed and it's, it's had space taken away from it and it's got stock banks kind of lining it and a lot of people will be familiar with that. Um, Hutt, well, Greater Wellington Regional Council identified this pinch point in the river um, down at Melling, basically the narrowest point and if the river overtopped the stock banks there it would do over a billion dollars worth of damage you know there's something like 600 houses and five schools and you know crazy amounts of damage would be done so the council basically got in at the same time as wakakotahi nzta doing some uh, work on some bridges and things Went, actually we're going to make some more space for the river here we're going to widen it they bought a whole bunch of properties on one side of the river um spent about a hundred million dollars i think as i understand it and acquired these properties and are, are moving people out, basically, and turning that back into green space. Um, and people were were okay with that. They went along with that. They they gave those people time and warning and said, "Hey, look, you can stay for a bit. We're not going to start it yet, you know." And and um, this project should be starting sort of this year. They've got all the consents and everything to widen the river by ninety metres. They're gonna. Um, build the stop bank higher on the on the lower hut side as well. So it's sort of a combination of things. But they're also going to try and turn lower hut back to face the river so that people remember that they live on a floodplain, you know, and they connect with that river again.
0: Mm. Now, river channels also adapt to tectonic changes, don't they?
1: Yeah, well, there's some a lot of interesting work around this stuff being done with... Um, you know, the potential for, say, an earthquake to just massively shift a a river channel and have that river evolve and and jump, you know, and change its course in the floodplain. And, um, yeah, crazy stuff could could happen. These rivers aren't going to stay in one place forever. Um, It's farcical to think that.
0: Okay, so looking at New Zealand, uh, what are some of the rivers that give you the most concern?
1: Yeah, I mean these these big braided rivers on the east coast for example i think are really great examples of where we've encroached and squeezed these rivers um way too hard and um there's also a lot of potential to undo that really easily you know we haven't developed really intensely um like we have for instance in in lower Hutt and and petoni um and there's a lot of potential to give some space back to the river there and there's a lot of hope there and there's Huge potential then for fish and macroinvertebrates and birds to have those areas back that they need to live. We've got 76% of our our fish species are threatened. Um, We've got so many threatened bird species. Our groundwater levels are dropping in these places. They're going to get drier. You know, we could do great things to... Um, restore these ecosystems and kind of benefit everyone and us from a, an ecological perspective but also from a flood resilience perspective um, so I see great potential there but for example Hawke's Bay is a great example the the Ngarruroro and the Tākutī rivers which you know both overtopped they come together at the coast and create this kind of V and we've stop banked them on both sides which made this big bathtub area basically when the rivers jumped out of their channels and filled the space on the inside of those stop banks they created a swimming pool that drowned people's houses, you know, people were being rescued off rooftops. And those are the places I think is as priority places that we really need to look at. Should we Should we be there? Maybe we want to be there farming and things like that or whatever, but should we be putting people in potential harm's way and, and putting them back there after these events as well? And um, yeah, I, I hope the answer is no.
0: Yeah, but but there are big cost factors uh, involved in moving or managed retreat. Uh, I saw your presentation to the Auckland Council, and, and uh, well, you got a round of applause from the mayor himself, who is of course an engineer. Um, uh, the, the The big question was how much is it going to cost, and uh, yeah, and your response was quite good.
1: Yeah, well, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the 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 key thing to remember here is that the cost of not doing something is always going to be more, you know, the, the cost of, um, insurance payouts from the Ashburton floods was something like 40 to $60 million or something. And then we had Nelson and then we had Auckland and then we had Cyclone Gabriel. And the cost of that's nine to 14.5 billion or something treasury estimated. And I don't know if that includes the, the then social cost, the disruption to people's lives, the anxiety. Um, and then we're going to see that again and again and again. And, you know we can we can front foot that. Yes, it it will cost in some places to retreat to back off to give rivers more space. But we also save money in terms of maintenance. Um, you know we save money on all the constantly getting in there with willows and concrete and rocks. That's expensive. That's a lot of work. Um, and and then the cleanup is just enormously expensive. So you know we're in this together. We, we this affects all of us. Everyone knows someone who was affected by flooding. Um, everyone. You know, a lot of people were directly affected by this flooding and we keep paying the cost. We, we pay it over and over, whether it's through our insurance premiums or our rates or whatever. And we'd be much better off getting together and, and you know, paying in advance together, helping each other, helping our rivers um, and, and giving them back their money and, and making our communities safer and, at the same time.
0: Mm. What has the response been like, Tom? You've presented, what, 28 uh, councils or areas. W- what sort of response are you getting?
1: Yeah, so we've presented mostly to communities but also most of the regional councils so far and, and the, the reaction is overwhelmingly, um, I, I would say positive, but it's kind of, um, you know, it's realistic. People, people understand once they see how we've managed our rivers, the space we've taken, where they used to flow, they, they appreciate why this is happening and they appreciate all the unintended consequences, and no one really pushes back against that because it's you kind of can't argue with what we've done and what's happening. Um, and they kind of get that something has to change, and there is a reluctance to or, or an uncertainty about where we go next. You know, what 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 is the cost? Who 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 pays? Or do people need to pay? We, you know, what are our priority areas? Um, but everyone kind of accepts that something has to change, and. I think that's a really positive way to start the conversation. And I think now we need to to get people to understand that next part, which is actually we all win from doing this. We all win. We might win in the economic sense, but way wider than that. We win from a social perspective. The ecosystems will be healthier. Our communities will be much more resilient. And our rivers will be much more healthy, beautiful places to go.
0: Yeah. Do you think that we're going to be brave enough to make these decisions before another Uh, you know disaster strikes
1: yeah that's a really good question and i i worry that we're not and the thing that i worry about with us not being that brave is that if we aren't brave enough if we don't make these decisions to manage our rivers differently i say manage our rivers we're never really managing our rivers we think we're in control for a couple of years and then they get the better of us you know um if we can't learn to live with our rivers in a way that's more sort of respectful or, or whatever you want to say um then they're going to make that choice for us. They're going to, they're going to take back the space they need to flood because um, that's what they do. You know, Resilient rivers, they need room to, to be resilient. It's, it's not a concreted river or stop bank that is a resilient river. It just bursts out of its banks when it gets a big enough flood. Resilient rivers need room. And flooding rivers will take that room. So if we don't have that conversation about where that water's going to go, then those rivers will take it. So we need, to, we need to transform our thinking. We need to make that room for these rivers. And um, we've got a massive opportunity coming out of the cyclone to do something different. There's someone that says, you know, there's never a cheaper time to retreat than straight after a disaster. Because otherwise you're just throwing money into something again that's eventually going to be taken away. So now is the time to transform our thinking and, and make some room for rivers.
0: Brilliant, Tom. Hey, Tom K, thanks so much for joining us and uh, talking us through making room for rivers. I hope we can be brave enough to make these decisions. Thanks so much for coming in.
1: Thank you very much.